This summer, we're going to spend a large chunk in Genesis. So today, we're going to be in Genesis 18. We're going to start at the first verse and go through the 15th. So Genesis 18, 1 through 15. This week at senior lunch, Hal Conklin came and spoke about the five most interesting people he has known from his decades of living in Santa Barbara. Since he has many friends, we knew this would be a great talk. Right away, we were intrigued when he told us he has saved in a box, I think he said, over 200 obituaries from people in this town he had known and who had made an impact on his life. He chose five from his collection, yet any one of them, he said, could have been an inspiring story. The people he told us about varied in their backgrounds and histories. Some of them set out to make a difference because they saw what needed to be changed and they knew they could have influence. Some of them fell into their stories because of being in the right place and seized the opportunity to do good. Some of them found that serving others was the key to their success later in their life. One of them survived the Titanic, and her story is a treasure. What was the best part for me was when Hal told us about his friends, he also shared a life lesson he had gleaned from knowing them. Some of them were, treat everyone with dignity as you don't know their story. Give to everyone without fanfare or the need for recognition. Life can change in an instant. Be grateful for every day. Now, these are more than trite sayings. These are hard-earned lessons from people who believe them with their whole heart because of the circumstances they had lived through. Today, we read a story from a portion of a day in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Like the rest of us, they embodied both good and bad attributes as they attempted to find their way. In scripture, Abraham in particular is held up as a person of righteousness because of his strong faith in God. We think of him as a larger-than-life model of integrity and trust. We call him Father Abraham. Yet as we read the story of how God interacted with he and Sarah, we see that Abraham is much more than that. In his humanity, he is flawed as well as faithful, and we want to remember that in our study today. We read their story in Genesis from chapters 12 to 22, a broad narrative containing smaller tales of how they came to know Yahweh and what happened to them. God asks them to leave their home in the promise of making Abraham a great name and blessing for the whole world. So he takes his entire household and moves close to Canaan, the promised land. And God affirms the promise at different times. But we see how Abraham wrestles with what this means and what this looks like. We, today, can appreciate the reality of not completely knowing what God means when he says go. Or when he only gives us a piece of the puzzle. We understand trying to live in a way that God has asked us to, yet not always being sure how to proceed in our everyday lives. We know what it means to live with pain and heartache and wonder where he is and where is the promise. 
We see Abraham take matters into his own hands. Like when he lied, saying Sarah, his wife, was his sister, because he was afraid for his life in Egypt, a place they had to go when there was severe famine in the promised land. We see Sarah heartbroken over not being able to have children, so she gives her maidservant to Abraham in hopes of having one that way. One scholar said it well when he said, Abraham trusted the promise, but didn't trust God to work through the impossible. Because in his understanding and his way of seeing, there was no future in Sarah. It would be many years before Abraham could come to that genuine trust in a God of impossibilities. When we come to the story that we read today, it has been 25 years since Abraham's first meeting with the Lord. Abraham and Sarah are old now. In their shoes, we might wonder if we somehow missed what was supposed to happen. 25 years is a long time of waiting and hoping. So let's see what the day brings. Genesis 18 starting at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, please do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced, and aged. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh yes, you did laugh. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds and continue to uh, walk with us through this beautiful scripture. Amen. Life lessons. That's what I want to talk about today for a few minutes. All of us have them every day, even if we don't stop to recognize them. 
Every time we make a decision, we are living out or perhaps ignoring what we have learned previously. When we find ourselves needing to choose a direction, how we proceed in large part is because of what we have learned to be true. Along the way, we can also glean wisdom from those we admire and trust, like our friend Hal. It isn't always necessary to have experience in order for us to take a lesson to heart. But the wisdom needs to resonate with us. It needs to resonate with what we believe and what brings us happiness or the truth won't stick. So there are four brief lessons I want us to consider from this episode in Abraham and Sarah's life. I had a pastor once who told me to always look for the lesson when you face something difficult or extraordinary. So let's do that. One life lesson we see here is about the importance of hospitality. We might say it like this, welcome everyone as a friend. It was the hottest part of the day. Abraham is lounging at his tent when suddenly there were three men standing before him. Verse 1 makes it clear that this is the Lord who has come to pay a visit. While we know that God can appear in any way he wishes, what is going on here isn't clear from the scripture, so we have to take our best guess. Andrei Rublev, a Russian painter in the 15th century, believed the visitors were the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He painted this beautiful icon about our story today, believing that they embodied unity, mutual love, and humility. The figures are arranged so their bodies form a circle. You can see the tree and the house. They're meant to be shown that they bring peace. Now others have interpreted this story that it is Yahweh and two angels. Scripture says it was the Lord, so we take it as such, believing his presence is there, no matter the, con- uh, the configuration. It's not evident when Abraham recognizes them as divine. He honors the guests by offering them a generous welcome. This would have been normal for their culture. It doesn't matter when someone shows up. It doesn't matter who they are. If they are in need of something and you can provide it, you should. This week with the Cliff Drive kids, we told them the story of the persistent friend at night, a parable of Jesus about prayer. A man comes in the middle of the night and he has no food to give his visitor. So he goes and pounds on the door of his neighbor because he knows they have bread to feed his friend. There's an imperative that you feel compelled to provide for those who come to your door. So I want us to think about that today. What does hospitality look like in your life? Some people come by the gift of hospitality naturally. They open their home. They're glad to do so. They like having guests in their home. But that is only one form of kindness. Hospitality is simply extending ourselves to meet the need that is being presented in front of us. It is offering in friendship to another person in a moment of their need, whether they're hungry or hurting, or they just need a place to be themselves. Remember Mary and Martha, it's not just about the perfect dinner party. It's about the chance to sit and share with the time that you have been given. It's the conversation 
and life that's valuable when people come together in moments like these. Taking the time that we can to extend ourselves to someone else honors them. But there's another part here that is worth mentioning. Abraham goes out of his way to choose the best of everything for his visitors. Bread, meat, milk, curds made by his own hand. As we said, at some point it becomes obvious that this is not a random visit by wandering nomads in the heat of the day. This is a holy encounter. And so what we see here is Abraham truly wanting to please the Lord. He wants to give God his finest. So let's sit and think about this idea for a minute. No matter where God comes or where we meet him, how we meet him, how do we make haste to give him our best? We believe that the Lord cares more about us and it doesn't matter what we're wearing or how it is that we come to him. When the Lord draws near, it's our heart that's the most important, not our sacrifice or our offering. But there's something here in Abraham's actions that makes me want to consider my actions. When we recognize that the Lord has come to us, when it's clear that he is evident in our midst, what do we offer him that he might be honored as a cherished friend? I'm not going to run down a litany of ideas for you to consider because this is a personal part of your own spiritual journey with him. But are there places in your life where you're not necessarily giving your best, your all to God? When I read about Abraham hurrying around so he might communicate to God what a privilege it is that God has come to his home. My heart was convicted for the ways that I hold back, for the ways that I don't always give to him in a way that show my deep love for him. See, Abraham is showing utmost respect and honor for God. May it always be the same for us. Another life lesson we see here goes along with what we just talked about. We could call this lesson, be ready to listen when God speaks. So let's look back at the text. Abraham's visitors lingered while he gave them his best. Presence is important to God. He has something that he wants to say as, we, as he accepts our worship of him. It's not a one-way relationship. He wants to talk to us and encourage us. Here the Lord has one thing to say. I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. That was it. We know that this was the message because it was repeated again in verse 14. This is not a new message for the couple. It had been spoken for 25 years. God is consistent throughout time with people. Abraham and Sarah had held on to this promise for a long time, believing it to be true. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. General is for everyone, where we all live every day. Promises that we see in the Bible that we might know God and ourselves. But there are also moments where God uniquely speaks to us and tells us things that we need to know. An answer to prayer that he gives us. 
when he gives us hope in pain or in scary situations, guidance that he provides in a difficult season. It can be a healing. It can be a call of God for work that he wants you to do. It can be a word of discernment about something in your life you need to understand. It can be a nudging to take a different way. You see, God speaks all the time. I love it when Einstein says, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are just details. How has the Lord spoken to you recently? What have you been assured by from his spirit in a way that you know that the message was for him? In a way that you can't necessarily explain to someone else? Scripture and experience and tradition all point to the reality that God speaks to us. So may we have the ears to hear. Another life lesson we see here is a curious one. We might call this lesson, laughter shows up in funny places. In other words, laughter can be an inadvertent way our real feelings get expressed. So that's something for us to remember Irma Bombeck, that paragon of wisdom from years ago, said, There is a thin line that separates laughter and pain, comedy and tragedy, humor and hurt. Sarah laughs when she hears she's going to have a baby. Like any good self-respecting spouse, she is listening nearby and hears what the visitor has said. It tells you a lot about my life, doesn't it? Yeah. Either in derision or mocking, more likely in great bitterness. Sarah chuckles to herself as if to say, yeah, right. But let's think about this for a minute. We often reveal more about ourselves and our feelings than we think we do through body language and jokes and the words that we choose, and even laughter. We tell people what is inside of us all the time. I like the Bombeck quote because Sarah is exemplifying its truth here. Sarah's laughter is showing her pain. God is bringing a hopeful word. You guys are going to have a baby. It's finally going to happen. When I come back next year, your arms are going to be full. It's going to be a great thing. This could be a light moment, full of rejoicing. But the tragedy of what Sarah has seen as her wasted years is bubbling over. And the hurt gets expressed as laughter. You can see it in her words. Now? Now I am to have a child? When my body is no longer young? No longer works in that way? In the previous chapter, Abraham had laughed as well when he heard what God had planned. Certainly, he didn't tell his wife about what God had said, or else she would have been more prepared for the news. Researchers tell us that incongruous behavior, like laughing while in pain, has basis in science. Sometimes we might say, I had tears of joy. I had smiles of sadness. These are ways that we try to regulate ourselves emotionally. When we get to the point of being overwhelmed, our minds don't want to be incapacitated 
or stop functioning. So we do the opposite of what is expected, trying to moderate our feelings. This is also linked to emotional intelligence, as laughing in this instance is more constructive than, say, tearing down the tent. (laughs) The idea here for us to pay attention to are the moments where our expression of feeling, like laughter, is out of sync with what is on the inside. This is where people who know us well can help us as we talk through what's really going on. Ironically, this leads us to our last life lesson entitled, When You're Called Out, Own It. (laughs) The Lord tries to help Sarah to come to terms with her feelings by asking why she laughed. At this point, Abraham remained silent, which is probably a good move. Sarah had chuckled only to herself, so this is more evidence that these visitors are not human. Sarah denies her laughter because she's afraid when what is on her mind gets spoken aloud, but not by her. This is a truth here she is not willing to face. The last line is funny because it's so indicative of a human interaction, not one that we would necessarily expect from God. Sarah denies what happened by saying, I did not laugh. And then the almighty king over the universe says, oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. You did laugh. Now, God is not trying to have the last word here in a competition with Sarah. He is wanting her to face her lack of faith. He's trying to break her denial because he has told her a truth that she doesn't want to believe. But he wants her to accept the fact that she's going to have a child. She needs to be prepared. He wants her to accept the fact that he is the God of the impossible. God has them name their son Isaac, which means laughter, which is both ironic and fitting. Come here, laughter. Just kidding. There are many times that we're not willing to face our lack of faith or our sin, even when it is pointed out. But we can't forget that God always sees what is true. He knows more than we do what's on our heart, and he will never be fooled. Even if we can convince others around us of what we are saying, fear keeps us in a weird place with truth. And that's something that we need to think about as well. We're so afraid of what others think about us. And we're so afraid of being exposed for who we really are. But in God's mercy, he calls us out because he wants to heal us. Sarah has to be healed from this deep, deep wound that she's been waiting for a child and not having one. She has to be healed so she can receive the blessing that he wants to give her. In the end, the biggest life lesson from this story comes from verse 14. Nothing is too big for God to accomplish. God says it a different way. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? As you consider the hard-earned lessons that we take from Abraham and Sarah's life, you might want to pay attention and meditate on what lessons are shaping your own life right now. And what lessons are you passing on to others You see, his purposes for you, like Abraham and Sarah, go far beyond today. 
His purposes go far beyond what we believe is possible. Their story is good news for us because we too are flawed. We're trying hard. We're falling short. But we will still be used by God who keeps his promises in his time. That is who he is. Let's pray.